This is Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic. And now your host, Michael O'Fallon. Well, for the last several years, a metastasizing, cancerous, corrupting cultural phenomenon has swept across the nation that has become increasingly more corruptive and downright nauseating with each new manifestation of the next show basically playing a grotesque game of Top That every few months. It is winsomely named, and everybody already knows the name right now, it's Drag Queen Story Hour. It's part of our lexicon today in America. It should be named, as the Babylon Bee does properly, men dancing in women's underwear in front of little children. And as we are both disgusted and rightfully angered at the same time, and I do want to point out that the videos of Drag Queen Story Hour that have been making their way across social media over the past year and a half or so, for several months at least, it seemed like several months, Well, you couldn't scroll through Twitter for 10 seconds without having another Drag Queen Story Hour shoved in front of your face. Almost all of the Drag Queen Story Hours have some very important and defining similarities. And you need to take note of this. First of all, you have the man gyrating and thrusting his front genitalia and his buttocks or whatever provocatively, visibly right in the very close proximity of children. Secondly, in almost every viral Drag Queen Story Hour video, You have the head or the face of a child or children in view as they stare at the sexual car wreck that is taking place directly in front of them. I mean, it's as if the person with the iPhone in each instance has experience as a director of photography from a television studio or a movie studio because you always have that child's head or face in the shot perfectly, like in thirds. With the clear view of the degenerate man dancing in women's underwear right in front of the child. I mean, it's almost as if there's some sort of instructions on how to cinematically direct the dance around a perspective shot. Now, you might want to start making note of this. And I don't say this out of some sort of sick reason. I'm saying because many things are being done quite professionally and intentionally for the shot itself. Now, it might just be organic, and I could be completely wrong, but it's as if it's made to ensure that you have the intended effect of horror and repulsion and anger, that you wish you could jump in and save that child from this situation. But Drag Queen Story Hour does a number of things that are explicitly Marxist in terms of the goals of having men dress provocatively as women dancing in front of little impressionable children. You're creating an enormous psychological confusion in the small child who is being completely confused by what they are witnessing in front of them. And really, no doubt, this is unequivocally sexual abuse of a child. And in each sinful, beyond-belief, drag queen story hour video of transgender or drag men gyrating in women's underwear in front of little children, you have confirmation bias that our civilization has completely gone off the edge. That we, in 2023, have completely lost our bearings. And that something must be done. And we should demand that laws are enforced or laws are passed to end the psychological child abuse being done to children at Drag Queen Story Hour. But let's also remember 
that the ideas and concepts behind Drag Queen Story Hour are really nothing new. On the 21st of March, 1919, and you can almost bet that they were trying to ensure that the revolution date would be March 15th instead of the 21st, the Hungarian Soviet Republic was formed. The second communist regime in Europe after Russia itself was proclaimed. And so the Social Democrats and the Communist Party merged under the interim name Hungarian Socialist Party. And Bela Kuhn was released from prison and sworn into office. Along with Kuhn into office in the newly formed Hungarian Soviet Republic was a man that we have mentioned before in our podcast several times, and only in the most horrific terms possible, by the way. As Marxism entered its cultural turn from the end of World War I and through the 1920s, George Lukács, now a lot of people would pronounce it Georgi or Georgi Lukács, but let's just say George Lukács for now, okay? George Lukács in the short-lived Hungarian Soviet Republic, and one of the reasons that the Hungarian Soviet Republic was short-lived really was because of Lukács and some of the things that he did. Well, Lukács instilled sexual promiscuity education for children at the elementary school level. And Lukács premised his policy on the need to destroy the family structure and the existential bonds that derive from that family structure. So Lukács brings in unchecked, flagrant sexuality. Uh, There's no check of morality religion, as was understood by the precursor of the Frankfurt School and its most influential member, Lukács. And this is, again, before the time that the Frankfurt School was actually started. This is also the time that Gramsci was becoming active in terms of being able to articulate cultural Marxism. But as a useful mode of really, and the whole purpose of this, and the reason why you're doing this, the reason why you're bringing all this hypersexuality into little children, was that it was a useful mode of forming communism's new man. Because what Lukács knew is that the strategic sexualization of children would destabilize the children's development. It would separate them from their family's traditional upbringing. It would separate them from their culture. It would separate them from their religion. It would separate them from their nation. And once you have separated the children from their family, culture, religion, and nation, then after you have completely alienated them from a traditional upbringing, then Lukács knew that you could now give the children a new family, the state. Because now your family is the state and the state is your family. A new culture in proletariat communism. A new sprawling Soviet bloc of a nation. And a new religion of Marxism. Because it is Marxism and specifically this toxic blend of Gramscian, Lukacian Marxism, really that is at the central heart of Drag Queen Story Hour. It is accelerating the contradictions for kids. It is accelerating the deconstruction of our civilization. Marxism is at the heart of Drag Queen Story Hour. Well, there was another well-known young Hegelian Marxist involved in this mess And this man would have really seen his prominence many years later. His name was Herbert Marcuse, and who we've referred to again many times over the past in in our our podcast. But Herbert Marcuse was a fellow member of the Frankfurt School with Lukács. 
And he would write several decades later in his book that really sparked the sexual revolution, he would say this. Again, this is from Eros and Civilization. Quote, The psychoanalytic liberation of memory explodes the rationality of the repressed individual. As cognition gives way to recognition, the forbidden images and impulses of childhood begin to tell the truth that reason denies. End quote. So for Marcusa, the imposition of an erotic psychoanalytical liberation explodes the rationality of the child. And as the old cognitive process of the child gives way to recognition, the erotic imagery and impulses of that was previously forbidden is now the new truth that their previous reason and upbringing would be repulsed by. It is pedagogical Marxism. It is Marxism. And that is what is going on with Drag Queen Story Hour. But wait, there's more. Because what is happening with Drag Queen Story Hour is the confirmation bias reflexive wheel. And every single time that someone sees the next Drag Queen Story Hour performance before kids, it does confirm that something is wrong and must be done. And that is our natural impulse, folks. And this is used by those on both the left and the right to confirm that there is something horrible going on and we have to stop it now. And of course, all sorts of blame begins for situations that should never be happening in any country, in any region, anywhere. And so now it is an opportunity, an opportunity of those that have a plan to coalesce power, to gain followers. And as my friend James Lindsay was pointing out over the last six months, you might want to consider that what Drag Queen Story Hour also functions as is a mid-level provocation or a non-violent provocation. And in this strategy, agitators will engage in behavior that, if accepted, moves one of their mass line agendas along or that, if resisted, provokes a reaction that can be framed as an unjust overreaction. This is like what we're talking about with Beautiful Trouble and the ideas of Serge Popovich, how really your goal is your opponent's reaction. And they're masters at this. In fact, it's Antifa's bread and butter tactic. And its goal is always to put its target into a dilemma of giving in and demoralizing themselves or reacting and then being portrayed as having been overreacting. And this is why we, along with Moms for Liberty and others, started the rallying cry, don't Give them drag Floyd. <laughs> Don't stoke the fires of anger so violently that it leads to a violent physical reaction from the right. But for whatever reasons, instead of realizing that the core of what has led to the insanity of Drag Queen Story Hour is actually Marxism, and then doing all that we can to eliminate the continuation of Marxism and neo-Marxism within Christianity. The core leadership of the Christian nationalist movement, by the way, has decided to seize upon the proliferation of Drag Queen Story Hour. And while we all need to make sure that we get the right people into office to enforce the laws on our books, or that we will need to go to our legislatures to create more specific law, and I would say that we need to do everything within our legal framework to stop this from happening. This is sexual child abuse. But in saying these things, 
and making this the main thing, and it seems to be the main thing that, especially on the Christian nationalist side, is part of their main cell. There seems to be something that's being ignored in all of this, completely pushed off from taking actual action. And, and this is not something that we need to just give lip service to on social media. And this is one of my chief concerns with some of the people that are the leaders. And I'm not talking about folks that are there for the right reasons and that love this, but the folks who are at the core of the Christian nationalism movement, that before we start talking about taking state power, we might want to get our own house in order first. Because in many ways, in the evangelical and reformed churches across our nation, we have something just as bad or maybe even worse than Drag Queen Story Hour still happening almost every day in seminary classrooms and every Sunday in nearly, oh, 50% of our churches across the country for the last decade and a half. The evangelical and reformed churches have hired dancers. They've hired the very best of dancers really well-skilled for Karl Marx story hour. For the last decade and a half, gradualistically, almost like a long striptease, Christian seminaries, Christian universities, Christian denominations, Christian parachurch ministries have been holding Karl Marx story hour before children, students, and adults alike. It has been Marxist fun for the whole family. And it's been accompanied by all sorts of different kinds of dancing, depending on the genre that you actually like, that Karl Marx and his band of exotic dancers can perform for you and teach you how to dance and step with them. For instance, for nearly 10 years at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, you had some of the youngest, slickest Karl Marx story art performers anywhere. They were the prime bunch. Like race Marxism dancer Matt Hall, who was the provost at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, under Albert Moeller, where race Marxism dancer Matt Hall said in his articles at Southern Seminary, quote, the best thing you can do to start is to take a humble posture, recognizing that you have a racialized worldview, which you are likely unaware of. Your beliefs, attitudes, and values have been formed in ways deeply informed by whiteness. End quote. So Karl Marx story hour dancer Matt Hall is first telling you that you must have what is called epistemic humility, which basically means that you can't come to the seats below the stage where Matt is dancing with your own objective epistemological beliefs because they might be informed by power and oppression and whiteness and that you must be humble if someone brings a subjective cultural perspective if their concepts are marginalized. Then the super-talented Marxist dancer Matt Hall tells his students that you most likely have a racialized worldview that you aren't even aware of because your sinful internal racism is unconscious. You didn't know you were a racist, but you must discover your racism through Karl Marx Story Hour with former Southern Baptist Seminary professor Matt Hall. But this breaking news, he is now leading Karl Marx Story Hour on the west coast of the United States at Biola, where he is the provost and working under Grand Wizard of Critical Consciousness in Christianity, Ed Stetzer, the man. 
So your future pastors and Christian leaders are going to have Karl Marx Story Hour worked into every generative theme imaginable during their education. Oh, but Southern Baptist Seminary kept their best talent in-house for Karl Marx Story Hour in Louisville. You see, students at SBTS have the very best, most talented Karl Marx Story Hour dancer in the United States. He's also known as the Intersectionalist. He has a special kind of Marxist dance, and that would be Dr. Jarvis Williams. And after just a few minutes under his dance of the unlimited intersectional veils of intersectional Marxism, your head will be spinning. Now, the neo-Marxist story dance that Dr. Jarvis William does for his student pastors is truly mesmerizing. Let me give you an example. Quote, Though I'm a marginalized African-American man within white male-dominated evangelical movements, Southern Baptist and Reformed, I'm still part of the privileged male majority in my Christian tribe. My brown marginalized identity intersects with my male identity. Though my African-American identity has caused me to lose certain privileges and has caused me certain traumatic experiences of racism in both the SBC and in the broader evangelical movement, my male identity affords me certain privileges that are unavailable for many black and brown women in white male-dominated evangelical Christianity. End quote. Now, if you noticed during Dr. Williams' session of Karl Marx Story Hour, very intersectional story hour, I guess we could call it a, a Kimberly Crenshaw story hour, he mentions the word identity three times and refers to identity throughout the small statement. So by identity, critical social justice means social identity, which implies political identity in a universe that is only concerned really with identity politics. In other words, identity in critical social justice refers to one's social group identity. It's collective in nature. And that's what you're going to see over and over again is this kind of pushing in of collectivism, where one social group is defined by intersecting socially constructed group categories that are defined in terms of mostly immutable demographic characteristics that have, by this point, become really very, very familiar to most of you. I would imagine if you listen to my show, you hear this all the time. That is, one's identity in the thought of critical social justice is a political identity in the active sense of doing identity politics. Now, understanding that critical social justice thinks about identity in this way really clarifies many seemingly mysterious features of the way that they're doing the Karl Marx story hour. But his worldview, in terms of what's actually happening here at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, certainly cannot be described as Christian. So when you start saying that we need to have a Christian culture, and you're in a Christian seminary, a Southern Baptist theological seminary, which is the lead seminary in the Southern Baptist Convention, it's the largest seminary in America, but the worldview that is being expressed is not Christian, but it's actually Marxist, which is more or less a, a faith of Gnosticism and Hermeticism, that's not a Christian culture that's being communicated to the students and to the pastors. It's Marxist. But we can't just see what is happening overall in Christianity through the prism of one continuously woke seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. I mean, you also had Eric Mason holding Karl Marx Story Hour at Dallas Theological Seminary. You had real dancing specialists of more of the Rousseau variety in Chris Watkins, who wants to replace your social contract 
at Reformed Theological Seminary. And let's not forget about Tim Keller doing the French Moulin Rouge Karl Marx Story Hour dance with his exotic neo-Marxist dancing techniques, doing the Derrida, doing the Funky Foucault. Keller's Karl Marx Story Hours really know how to attract those big city types. And all of what's actually happening at RTS is really all on Legan Duncan, who said that he didn't groove on Karl Marx, but it certainly seems to be grooving on just about everybody else that comes from a Marxian perspective. And Duncan has somehow retained his position after creating the Liberation Movement Seminary adjacent school with Carl Ellis, which some of my team attended on the first meeting that they held for that, that school in Atlanta. And they came back to me telling me it was just straight up James Cone story hour. And they told me that Carl Ellis's words were almost like honey to the ears of almost Christians discovered. So you have Karl Marx Story Hour at Crew, formerly Campus Crusade for Christ. You have a continuous mishmash of liberation theology tinged Karl Marx Story Hour at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary with Walter Strickland, once again, a big fan of James Cone and liberation theology. And you have supposedly conservative seminaries across our nation still taking hundreds of thousands, even millions to support diversity, equity, inclusion just this past year while they're all condemning DEI. We'll talk more about that later. You have individual churches in the Southern Baptist Convention and the PCA setting up Karl Marx Story Hour for their congregations, like Pastor Willie Rice of Calvary Baptist Church, who back in 2020 was having Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility be praised during his own Karl Marx Story Hour, with a panel filled with critical race theorists. It also was in the PCA, like with Alexander June, who was the General Assembly moderator for the PCA, who said, quote, I consider myself a critical race theorist. You can be and a Christian at the same time, end quote. You have a complete lack of addressing CRT at the SBC Anaheim Convention. They just completely avoided the subject, just ran past it. And then, after completely running past it, they had the introduction of a denomination-wide soft CRT program being launched. And this is all across evangelicalism and reformed denominations. No one in leadership has faced any church discipline that I'm aware of for 12 years of Karl Marx Story Hour. You have 12 years where the SBC's Russell Moore basically was advocating for the denial of inalienable rights, saying things like, quote, every right that we have in society is never an absolute, end quote, and claim that rights are, quote, never an absolute, end quote, and went on in the ensuing discussion to indicate that rights are, in fact, subject to modification in order to, quote, balance conflicting interests, end quote, especially the interests of the, quote, government. I mean, unfortunately, some Christian nationalists are saying some of these sorts of things now as well. Not all of them, but some at the very core are. But I mean, this was a complete meltdown moment back in 2017 and 2018 around Russell Moore and the ERLC. And nothing's happened. Nothing's been addressed. And none of the men who have been the very worst offenders of Karl Marx Story Hour in churches have faced any sort of discipline at all. Some, like Russell Moore and Matt Hall, have been moved around to different institutions. 
but taking basically the same pay and in many cases the same position that Matt Hall had at SBTS, he's now taking at Biola. But the men responsible for hiring in these revolutionary deconstructionists into our churches haven't had one stitch of discipline or correction and are all still in their offices. Men like Legan Duncan, Al Mohler, Danny Aiken, Tim Keller, Ed Stetzer, after all of the noise that so many of us sacrificed everything to stop, after all of us being called jerks and divisive over the past six or seven years, after all of the meetings that we had over years with some of these leaders, ones that I had personally trying to reason with these men and just being gaslit and gaslit and gaslit, and then finally them kind of saying, yeah, well, this is going to happen. There's nothing you can do about it. None of them stopped what they were doing. They just started to transition into something else. So nothing was done. A few chess pieces moved around, but no accountability, no defenestrations, and now several of these men are repositioning themselves to support and jump on the bandwagon of Christian nationalism, like Al Mohler. And nothing has happened. And the church is being told that now this corrupted group of men who spread Karl Marx's story hour across the entirety of the body of Christ, who spent a good amount of time teaching all of our future pastors all of the right Karl Marx dance moves, not do the hustle, but do the Hegel. And so this corrupted, still stinking with Marxian stenches church is now going to be the church that takes over political power in America while the church still stays corrupt? I got to question that, guys. Well, some have said recently in interviews that they realize that trust has been broken between the elite Christian leaders and the grassroots members of churches because of the CRT stuff and the anti-Trump rhetoric. And their answer to this is incentivize. Incentivize the formerly woke leftist corrupt pastors and incentivize them to start working for the right. Yeah. Well, what do you have then? Well, you have men who were corrupt on the left who will now just take additional funds to pretend to be on the right. They'll put on a mask. And that is how we are going to infuse Christian nationalism into America? Guys, come on. So this is who you want our leaders to be in your new Christian nationalist movement that are going to begin to rein back the neo-Marxism, Marxism, and Karl Marx story hour that they themselves brought in and set into place. That's who's going to be our leaders? What do you think the main scandals were in the Roman Catholic Church just before the Reformation? Because our lampstands that we had in our churches over the past 15 years or so were made by Marx's followers. And we need new, authentic lampstands. It's one of the reasons I think that evangelism has completely crashed. If you do want to take back the nation for the Lord... If you want to bring the gospel to the fields ready for harvest across America, if you want to have continuity and honesty and leadership that others will support, well, you can't do it with corrupt elite Christian leaders who did Karl Marx's story hour for the last 15 years, dancing in front of our future pastors, encouraging them to learn their dance steps 
to dance right along with Karl Marx. And you can't do it with a new crew of men who nobody knew who they were just a year and a half ago that are all saying, follow me, shut up. You can only follow me. You need a reformation within the church first. A real, searing, precise, bold reformation. Because if we bring what we have brought into our denominations, ministries, and churches, and if we bring what we've brought in there to be what we are going to bring into the political realm for a Christian nationalism, the result will be corrupt Christian nationalism. We have to get the corruption out first. Because all you have right now are either seeds that bore bad fruit, Marxist fruit, or seeds that you don't even know what kind of fruit that they're going to bear. It's time to rethink the order of things here, gentlemen. We need to rethink the church's priorities, which is first, the church. We need to get busy again with evangelization and proclamation of the gospel. We need to put in new guardrails and processes that guard our positions of leadership from corruption and guarantee accountability of leadership. Because right now, we don't have protection from corruption or accountability. And we still have a corrupt church. We can't put the cart before the horse. And this isn't a dig against those that are post-mill or theonomists or federal visionists, but the church must purify itself first so it can be the witness to the nation that it can already be shown to be a fair adjudicator of the law, that it can weigh scales evenly. Because truly, if the church hadn't spent the last 15 years making everything about race and privilege and social justice and instead used that time and wasted effort on proclaiming the gospel, ending abortion, and building the kingdom of God, then there might not have been a drag queen story hour. (sighs) Maybe they would have pulled out the mid-level propagation anyway. I don't know. Maybe they would have done it. But sadly, we have a weak evangelical church that did everything to deconstruct the Christian culture that was still hanging on by a thread over the past 15 years. And reconstruction will be difficult in a nation that is quite suspicious in today's environment. So the church needs reformation. The church needs to remove the corrupting influences that brought us to this point. And the church needs complete reformation now. And then, and only then, we can revisit these power-tinged visions of a Christian nation. Because the last thing you want, that anyone wants is the simulacrum church, the corrupt, fake, power-hungry church that looks good on the outside, Deus Vault, but inside is still the corrupt leadership that we had that brought in all of this Marxism. We want an accountable church, a church with accountable leadership. So let's end Karl Marx's story hour once and for all. Let's do what is necessary now within our legal structure to end Drag Queen Story Hour, and let's reform the church. I'm Michael O'Fallon, and this has been Public Occurrences, Both Foreign and Domestic.